Boy, do we have a quick take for you today with the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth with Straightforward Short-Term Rentals and Pride Away Stays. Now, it's no secret that I'm doing a lot of work in the short-term rental world these days, and data and information is really what drives us. I mean, hospitality and communication as well, but like from a business perspective, it's knowing where to invest and what to invest in. We had the one and only John Bianchi on our podcast, the Airbnb data guy. He is at conferences. He's all over the internet. He's really smart and he's great at analyzing data from AirDNA and all the different sources for short-term rental data and finding the good data from the bad data. You know, I have a background in research and we always used to say garbage in, garbage out, meaning if you put bad data into an analysis, you're going to get really bad results afterward and be super confused. And error DNA is something that you just kind of have to look at as a directional source. It's really tempting to focus on the numbers that AirDNA puts in front of you, but I've done so, um, I've done some searches on AirDNA for our own properties, and they are wildly wrong from what I'm actually booking. They usually overestimate. John is able to really dig into AirDNA data and find the opportunities in a market and also find where things might be overinflated or underinflated. So I encourage you to listen to this. If you're analyzing properties for short-term rentals and you have not found your way to John Bianchi just yet. Go search him online, check the show notes here, subscribe to his newsletter. He's a super smart guy and we're really grateful that he took some time out of his day to spend with us on the podcast and share with us how he analyzes data for a market using AirDNA and other sources. So give it a listen. So Rory, this sounds like how we analyzed our properties before we bought them, right? Not a little bit. We said, I think people come up here and if it looks nice, they'll come in. Although to give us a little bit of credit, we realized that there were a couple different flavors of properties that were out there. And the ones that look like a traditional home you'd find in the suburbs, those ones didn't seem to be booking up very quickly. And we noticed the ones that look like cabins in the woods, those are the ones that were gaining attention. So it may not have been as data driven, but we did look at the market um, and take into account, you know, what are people looking for in the area, who's coming. And maybe we didn't quite investigate who those people are, but we made a couple of strategic choices um, along the way, but we, we didn't really have the data to back it up as much as we probably should have. Honestly though, just hearing that makes me happy, right? Cause like you kind of take exactly what you did and then just keep taking it even more and more steps and getting more and more granular with the little details, right? That's the exact process of what I'm talking about, right? You kind of look at the different things that are out there, what's doing better than the other. Okay, let's go for the thing that's doing a little bit better, right? And then on top of that, without really maybe even knowing it, is that the person that's going out to that area, they're going to want the, the cabin, right? They're not going for to go from their suburban home to a suburban home in another area, right? They're going for the experience, which is what Airbnb is all about. And so that's naturally why those cabins are doing a lot better, right? Like I was going through data in Gatlinburg today, and there was this one home. So if you have amazing views in Gatlinburg, like you're well over a hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And I came across this one, absolutely amazing views, but it was actually doing a lot worse than homes that didn't have views. And the reason being was because the entire thing looked like a suburban home, right? But it was sitting on the side of this mountain. It was just, it's one of those things where I look at it and it gets so sad. Cause I'm like, what a waste of real estate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. throw wood up in that entire place or do something, right? You were doing something right there. You know, it's a combination, all businesses, go with your gut and follow the data. And I think this is applicable with a law practice, with a real estate firm, with an investment company, with any kind of consumer packaged goods, with an Airbnb business. And I think this is what separates some people who like doing this on the side, making some extra cash with a room in their house, an accessory dwelling unit, maybe their vacation home, 
you know, they're able to get their wife or husband to buy into buying it if they could rent it out a couple of weeks versus the people that see it as a pathway to, you know, a business. And it's right. thinking about this as a business. And I think that a service that you're providing, John, is to think about this as a business and look through the data and see what is what is that 90 percentile property doing that's different from the average property and how do you aspire to get up there are ways to optimize every business out there even the most optimized business there's ways to optimize that even better so i think that some of the folks that you know we've been studying this a lot lately and some of the folks that are super successful at it are just constantly learning and they're constantly trying to tweak their you know they're using all the tools that are out there they're using price labs they're using rank breeze they're using all of the tips and tricks for the software that says what you should do and then they're probably tweaking it like a human would do it's like you could just let ai do it and you might not get the same results as if you have an ai guided human following the data and understanding kind of like really what it is on the ground the data might say one thing but like if you know that you know that specific neighborhood is right next to a nuclear plant or something like yeah. you know like yeah, 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 data, yeah. the ai might not know that well speaking of the, another thing to mention on the data right just as like a forewarning out there the vast majority of data especially on air dna is bad data like the very bad data i would say only about 10 to 20 percent of the data on air dna is actually good data right? And like, how would you clarify good data? Well, it has to be up and running for over 300 days, right? Because then you want that annual profit number, right? You want it to have a certain number of reviews so that you know it's actually been a, a real live Airbnb for that entire time period, right? Because sometimes people take them on, off, pause it, use it themselves, and then all the all of a sudden the data gets all wacky and wrong, right? Um, you want to make sure it's still active and like going right then and there. And then at the same time, you want to be a good listing. You don't want there to be like iPhone photos all over the place uh, when it's not an actual good listing. And so, you know, to hit those three things, only about 10 to 20% of the, the homes on Air DNA are actually that. And just so anyone who doesn't know what Air DNA is, Air DNA is a site that tracks every single Airbnb that exists in the world and records all of their data and then puts it onto this software and allows you to see it, right? So, First off, you need just the good data. Now, the other issue with the data and softwares like AirDNA and Price Labs is that they use averages, right? So when you use an average, you say like a four bedroom within this zip code on average makes about $100,000, right? That to me is completely useless because the difference in the homes and the style of the homes, what they look like, what features and amenities they have creates a huge variance in how much you can actually make, right? And I'll give an example here, like in uh, downtown Nashville, I have all the data for it. I can show you this later, but I have all the data for it. And there, are, there's a collection of homes doing 200,000. And then there's a bigger collection of homes doing 100,000. The most profitable home in that area is doing 400,000. And the least profitable is somewhere around like 50,000, right? And so if you just take the average of all of that and then go out and buy a four bedroom, you're going to be way off. You might get lucky, right? But you're, li- you're more likely to be way off. And so what I always try and teach people is averages are useless try and figure out exactly what your home looks like so that you know that you're either buying a home that's going to make $200,000 or $100,000, right? And make sure you're buying it properly and appropriately. You can ensure that you're going to get the proper cash flow, right? So just like some forewarnings about, yes, data is nice. And yes, like data shows you what to do, but you really got to uh, take into account a lot of these other little things, which, you know, all the stuff on YouTube that I have for free talks about that. Yeah, I, I should say that, you know, John really goes into this, like he'll do screen shares, he'll dig into a lot of his multi-tab databases, he'll look at what data is good and bad. I mean, that's just the, you just get the tip of the iceberg as to what you consider like 
bad data, right? And I totally yeah. get it. Like we used to say in the research world, garbage in, garbage out with data. So yeah. if data was terrible coming in, the results don't really mean anything. Once you, the listener, are done listening or viewing this podcast, you know, we want you to go down to the show notes and click over to John's YouTube channel because you'll see all the classes he's talking about and you'll see a ton of videos that he has up there that are, uh, you know, him literally sharing his screen, showing you exactly what you should be looking for within the data. Let's just talk really quick. Let's take it back a step because people might be listening to this saying, all right, you know, I'm a host. I'm thinking about hosting. I'm thinking about buying that first house. But there's a couple other ways that people can make money on Airbnb. And I think that some of your systems will really contribute to the success of those folks as well. And I'm talking about co-hosting and I'm talking about Airbnb arbitrage. So could you just go into what both those two things are and maybe how looking at the data can also help people that are looking at those types of business models? Definitely. So co-hosting or management, property management, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Are, you know, somebody else has an Airbnb that's up and running. Like, let's say yours, Jason, you have an Airbnb and I'm going to take 100% responsibility for it. I'm going to take control of the guests. I'm going to take control of the cleaning, everything. And I'm just going to pay you a certain amount. And you're going to give me roughly about 20% of the profits. That's sort of the norm, right? That's property management or um, co-hosting, right? Which is great. Honestly, if you're trying to start a business or scale a business, it's great because it costs $0 to get a new contract, but you make 20% of all that revenue moving forward, right? It's one of the best ways that you can scale an Airbnb business. Mm -hmm. Now, the other option is arbitrage. And so rental arbitrage is when you rent out somebody's home, ask them if you can turn it into an Airbnb. They say yes, and then you furnish it and then put it on the Airbnb platform, right? And now you're paying the landlord rent and you're hopefully making more on Airbnb and you're keeping the difference, right? Now, the arbitrage one is the more risky version of getting into the Airbnb space because you're taking on a, on a lot of liability by taking on the rent, the utilities, the cleaning bills, everything that you have to pay for that place, right? My homes on average were about $70,000 a year that I was paying just straight out of pocket, nothing coming back, right? And on top of that, you also have to put a lot of money up front to furnish the entire unit. For a one bedroom, it's going to be roughly about 5,000. For a four bedroom, it's going to be somewhere around 15,000, right? If you do it on like the cheap end. Mm -hmm. And so arbitrage is more risky and you have to have some money up front. Co-hosting is free to start and a lot less risk because the landlord's actually taking all the risk because they're paying for the mortgage and all the utilities and everything, right? Now, I used to tell people all the time, if you're going to get into the Airbnb space, start off with the management contracts because they're free and you can learn that way. However, what I realized is that it's almost impossible to get somebody to trust you to run their home as an Airbnb and take all the risk without you have any experience, right? So now what I tell people is find a one bedroom in the middle of a metropolitan and turn that into a rental arbitrage contract, right? Go really small and spend the least amount of money to learn if you even like doing this, but also learn the systems and the process and the operations, right? And if you like that, go out and try and get use that experience to go get as many management contracts as you possibly can and then only get the date arbitrage contracts when it makes absolute sense, right? And so to bring this back to the other part of your question, which is how does the data play into this, right? The data plays into this because when it comes to arbitrage, it is so easy to lose money in when you're doing rental arbitrage. Like I think about 30% of my homes that I got actually ended up being uh, negative cash flows. Right. 
so I lost money on those properties and I paid about, you know, $15,000 to get them up and running. So I lost quite a bit of money on those properties, right? I had other properties that did really well, but arbitrage, you can really lose a lot of money because you're not owning an asset. You're buying depreciating uh, asset, which is the furniture and you take on all that liability. So getting the right home is really, really, really important. Right. And so with the data, right, the way that I go about it is my reports allow me to look at, I scrape all the data from a certain location. I put it into this report and I can see where within the city the most money is being made, right? Between uh, the different bedroom sizes and the different zip codes. And then from there, I hone into that location. So let's say downtown Nashville, right? It's not easy to do it down there, but let's say downtown Nashville, because uh, I already used that as an example. And I'm looking at the four bedrooms. And what I would do is I go into those four bedrooms and I would learn everything I possibly can about all of those four bedrooms at all the different scales and levels of, of profitability. And I would try and find a home on the market for a certain amount of rent that would still allow me to cash flow after all the expenses being paid. Right. But without being like certain, like, oh, this home, this four bedroom with rooftop patio is going to make me $150,000 a year without 100% knowing that you're taking a huge risk by signing a lease for like four or $5,000 a month. If you don't know, it's going to make $150,000 a year. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so like going through that process allows you to get the confidence to be able to actually sign a lease and pay for all that furniture and feel confident that you're going to make those, make that money. Did that answer that question? I know I went into a lot of detail there, <laughs> but I tried to systematically go through it. Yeah, you answered it very well. I think you explained kind of those two business models as well. To some, those this might be the first time you're hearing it. If you listen to a lot of Airbnb podcasts and read about it, uh, you'll see you know co-hosting or property management and arbitrage as two massive things that people are talking about a lot now. John, do you think too many people are kind of getting into that layer of the business? Like just what kind of what's your gut? Like has that increased a lot the past couple of years? Are we getting a lot of charlatans? Are we getting good people doing that as an entry point? I don't think there's too many people doing it. You know, there's tons of places that still can be turned into Airbnbs, make a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there's a ton of people doing it poorly. And I think that over the years to come, people are going to start losing a bunch of money and be like, oh, Airbnb is a terrible thing and you lose a bunch of money and it's not profitable. Like, I feel like we're going to start hearing horror stories a lot more about rental arbitrage in the future than we are right now. Right. And I'll kind of explain why, because like everything was kind of going good right up until 2020, then 2020 crashed. And then, and, and people don't know this, there's companies that had raised like a hundred million dollars that went bankrupt in 2020. Only one survived. His name is Sonder. And then from that, they, those, all those companies crashed. And then a whole new group of companies doing the exact same thing started coming up. And now they're starting to promote to everybody that this is like the best thing in the world and that you can do it. And, and there's so many people on YouTube just talking about how it's so easy and you can do this and you can do that. I personally think that if you're not going to treat this like a true business and you're not going to try and scale it and grow it and get real operations and eventually grow yourself out of that business, that if you're not taking it with that kind of mindset, you should only have one or two or three. Like you should keep it small because when you keep it small, you can, and you strategically get the right homes, then you can cash flow off of those homes and keep the operations going well. And you're not going to kind of stumble in over invest and end up losing all that money down the road. Right. By just like constantly reinvesting, reinvesting, reinvesting and never taking any of those profits back. Like I said, I don't think that there's too many people doing it, but I do think there are a lot of people who are doing it poorly. And what it, what poorly is to me is people who go out there and rent a home without understanding the data and just pick up any home because the, because it's within their budget and the landlord said yes. And those are the people that are going to feel it in a year or two when they realize they've made zero dollars, right? Mm -hmm. And I see it all the time. 
So like I know markets really, really well. Like I know a bunch of different markets, where to buy, where not to buy, um, just because I, I'm in them a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I see people post like, oh, I just got this new arbitrage contract and it's, you know, in the far suburbs of Chicago. And I'm like, you're not going to make any money. There's no demand out there. Your home looks great, but like you're going to, you're going to lose money over the years. Right. It makes me upset. That's why I do these podcasts actually is because I always try and promote, like just learn the data and you won't make that mistake. Right. That's how I feel about it. And there is another real estate law podcast quick take for the full episode. Please go to YouTube or iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to or heard that quick take. We're also on realestatelawpodcast.com where you can get all of our episodes and information about the show. On behalf of attorney broker Rory Gill, this is Jason Muth. Thank you for listening.